Hey, my name is Jason. I'm the producer of Relationship Radio. I wanted to let you know that we have a brand new website solely dedicated to working on your pies. Introducing itstartswithattraction.com. You can listen to every episode, learn about the pies, and sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to itstartswithattraction.com. It starts with attraction, one word. It starts with attraction.com to get signed up today. This is a program about relationships, and we'd like to talk about things that are important to you. So every so often, what we do is we just talk about whatever questions that you have. Now, if you're watching, you can actually start writing your questions now in those little comment sections down below, and that's what we'll do today. Any kind of relationship questions that you wish to ask. <laughs> no, we don't claim to have all the answers to every question, but you know, we've learned quite a bit about relationships. Hi, I'm Dr. Joe Beam, along with Kimberly Holmes, who is here with me. She is the Executive Director, CEO of Marriage Helper, a 501c3 nonprofit organization. And today we'll be doing this program together. And we'd love for you to go ahead and start asking those questions now. So, Kimberly, do we have any questions yet or do we have to wait a little while? We got to wait. You just started. (laughs) People are still typing, finding their emojis. Oh, they have to have an emoji, huh? Right. (laughs) That's, I mean, that's how people do things now. Yeah. Yeah, those didn't exist when I was young. No? You probably had some other type of form of it. Yeah, it was a, a finger. <laughs> but other, other than <laughs> that, that, was, that, that was the way it was, was back then. Was nothing else. I will tell you, I went to a concert over this past weekend, and I went with some teenagers, and the words they were using, I had never heard before. Um, and then I was like, what words did I use? when I like Words they make up, like, I'm so shook. Have you heard this? No. Are you familiar? No. It means like shaken, but <laughs> like this shook me. Or, um, and so I was like, what word? I used words probably like that's so tight for cool. But mm-hmm. you, what words would you have used? Probably use cool. Groovy. Groovy. We used the word. <laughs> it was the word One groovy. One of the big hits back in my era was groovy on a Sunday afternoon. That was a big hit. Yeah. Well, I just see people are putting in emojis. Um, But just so everyone knows, I saw Ed Sheeran and it was incredible. Absolutely incredible. We have a question. I'm glad. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) That would not be the appropriate usage (laughs) of the word shook, just so everyone's aware. All right. Someone says, actually, I don't know if there's a question in here, but we're going to figure it out. All right. So someone says, my wife of 15 years is on a two-week trip to England with her parents, and I'm having a really hard time with it. Just a month ago, she was with another man that she's been seeing for three months before she came back for a couple of months. I feel alone and sad. I'm here taking care of three kids while she's gone, and I just don't feel like she's into us as much as I'd like. Any advice is appreciated. Well, if, if you say, is it okay to feel sad? Then the answer is sure. It's okay to feel sad. Is it okay to think, oh my goodness, I'm, I, you know, because of the fact she was involved with this guy recently, uh, should I worry about what she's doing? That's a human response. Now, you see, I can't tell you how to feel or what to feel. You must understand that emotions are real. It's whatever you feel at a given time. But I can suggest this to you. You know, if you let your emotions get away with you, in other words, causing you misery, then maybe, just maybe, you can try something to help you control those emotions. Now, the questions you can ask yourself to try to think about it logically, and logic here will not overrule emotions, but if you try to think about it logically, you can ask yourself the questions. Okay, is she in England? Okay, if she's there, does she know anybody there? If you say, well, no, she really doesn't, then maybe that should alleviate your fear some. What about our parents? Are they good people? Are they trustworthy people? Would they be the kind of people she would be on her best behavior around? If so, then that should alleviate your fear a little bit. If she wouldn't try to sneak off from them, and and if they would disapprove if they knew she was involved in something she shouldn't be, In other words, you can count it logically as much as you can and try to calm yourself down from that. But at some point, you're going to have to accept the fact that she's in England. She's traveling with her parents and that you have the kids. You see, acceptance is the key to most things in life. I accept that it is what it is. Now, you can worry yourself to death. But you see, when you worry, you're holding mental images typically of what you don't want to happen. And many times, those are things that we are fabricating on our own. So rather than fabricating these things, try your best to think about positive things like, she's over there, she's having a good time, she's with her parents, I'm with the kids, and she did end that relationship with the other guy. Let me say some peace in that. 
So it's a matter of doing the best you can to control your thinking as best that you can and try to get some mental images that are positive, some things that you can hang on to if possible. But if you decide just to fret and worry, then you will fret and worry. And I do agree that controlling emotions are very difficult because emotions are emotions. They are what they are. But do your best to do that. Do your best there. Now, if you're into things like yoga, then I would suggest you to do that. If you are into things like mindfulness, know how to do that, then I suggest you do that because those things can help you calm down. Yoga in many ways that Kimberly can speak to. Mindfulness, if you find the right mindfulness resources. Yeah, absolutely. Those are really good recommendations. He followed up with something where I'm going to use his comment that he said, but I want us to elaborate on it, not just for him, but for people in general. So he said that when they were separated and she had her affair, according Mm -hmm. to her beliefs, she wasn't cheating because they were separated. Yeah. And so she said, or um, he said, before, uh, but now that she's back, now that she's been back, I guess she believes it's cheating according to her beliefs. But in general, we've seen this before where people say, well, we're separated. Therefore, if I sleep with someone else, go out on a date with someone else, whatever, it's not cheating. What would you say to that? Wrong. (laughs) I would say wrong. That's wrong. As long as you are still married, then anything you do that involves another person that that should not occur with married people should not occur with you. And so I think sometimes people try to justify and rationalize what they do. We all do it to some degree. I mean, like if I go to the movie theater, even when I'm on a diet, I'll think popcorn's not really food. It's part of the entertainment experience, (laughs) right? And that's just a way to rationalize. And so we look at this and I think it's rationalization to say, well, we're separated, therefore it doesn't matter. In my opinion, your rationalization. If you're still married to each other, then anything you do with another person that you should not do as a married person is cheating. I rationalize that any cookie dough left in the bottom of the bowl as I'm making it that I eat has no calories because it has not been cooked. Uh-huh. That's my rationalization. Right. Because we all do some kind of justifications, rationalizations like that. Of course we do. It's a lot different, though, if you eat the cookie dough than if you think, well, because right now we're separated, it's okay if I sleep with somebody else, which is obviously a much, much bigger deal. But in my opinion, absolutely not. That's Mm -hmm. not right. Mm -hmm. No, that's good. Another question has come in. This person says, is it normal for limerence? For the limerent spouse to not express remorse. And again, you might just want to give a brief brief touch back to what limerence is if someone's new to us. I'm pretty sure she's in stage three. Contact has ended three months ago. We're living together. She's seeing a counselor to work on herself. She has not said yes or expressed commitment to the marriage or shown any remorse yet. Is that normal? It's common. Now, you know, when you say normal, normal kind of tends to think like, oh, well, everybody does that. I'm not sure that that's the case, but it is common. For those who are new to our vocabularies, the things we talk about here, let me explain limerence very quickly, if I may. Limerence is a heightened state of emotional connection to another person that's uh, characterized by a deep longing for emotional connection and, and an obsessiveness to the other person so that you think about him or her nearly constantly when you're awake and sometimes even you dream about him or her to the point where that your life begins to be interrupted because you're so focused. And a lot of your thinking is about the things that you've done together that you enjoyed, the things you've talked about that felt good. But then a great deal of it is also daydreaming or fantasizing about what the future will be with this person, what you anticipate you're going to have. It's kind of living in a dreamland in a sense by thinking about what will be. Now we could describe limerence in much greater detail and much more detail uh, in all kinds of ways. But just for now, understand that limerence then is this intense emotional desire for a connection with another person. So what he's saying is she was in a limerent relationship. She was with that with another guy. Now she's back with me. She's seeing a counselor, but she has not yet committed to the marriage. And she seems to express no remorse over what she feels. Well, understand that if she is just three months out of being in contact with this guy, that's still a relatively short period of time. And it doesn't necessarily mean that those emotions have subsided. 
As a matter of fact, they may, to some degree, be almost as strong or even as strong as they were in the height of deliverance as she is coming out of it, and hopefully that she is, as she's coming out of it. And in that state, you understand there's some emotional confusion going on, like, yes, I'm married to you. Yes, I'm still in the house with you. Yes, I'm seeing a counselor or therapist, but I still feel these intense emotions toward him. And that can prevent a person then from feeling remorse because of the fact that it feels so right. Now, you may remember Barbara Mandrell, who, by the way, is an awesome human being. Barbara Mandrell had a song many, many years ago called, If Loving You Is Wrong, I Don't Want to Be Right. It's actually a song about limerence. And and it's, well, she didn't, I don't know if she even knows about limerence, but it describes limerence whether she understood it or not. And it was a great song, and Barbara's a great human being. But understand that that probably is why she's not indicating any remorse, is that she's still going through the process of getting past what she's been feeling for this guy. I hope and pray that the counselor that she's seeing is helping her move on and get past this. Um, unfortunately, sometimes we see counselors that don't. But I hope and pray that yours is that he or she is helping your wife move past that. At this point, here's what I'd recommend for you. Patience. Give her some space. Give her some time. At least she's still with you. And if I understood what you wrote, then that relationship with the other guy at least has ended in terms of contact with each other. That's all good. So now just be patient. Let her get past that. Let her heart heal, if you will. And understand that she's probably, and you're not going to like this, but we always tell the truth. She's probably going through a little bit of a grief process. Because if she were in a limited relationship with that guy, he became very important to her. And, and if she indeed has ended that, and I think that's awesome that she has, then you understand there'd be a grief process that she'll go through as she gets past that which has to do with like denial, anger, all kinds of different things that go on through there. And finally, finally acceptance. So if I were you, I would not worry about it right now. I know you want her to be past it. You want her to have remorse. You want her to be committed to you. I don't blame you. I'd be exactly where you are feeling those same things. But if you can, just be patient. And so what she's going through, is it normal? I won't use the word normal, but I'll say common. We see it a lot. Just hang in there. Be patient. Go slow. Mm, that's good. This, this next question that we had have, he says, how much of smart contact is or should be purposeful versus just trusting God to allow the opportunity come up to come up? So he gives a little bit of an example in here. He says, since I want to, or no, he says, I'm saving something that I have to talk to her about and making a point to actually use that in a smart conversation with her as opposed to uh, not, since she won't talk to me right now. So since she won't talk to me right now, I'm not going to tell her about something that happened with the kids or whatever. I'm going to save that for when she will talk to me. Okay, I'm not sure I'm following this. So you you give the answer to begin with, and I'll respond to that. I don't know. <laughs> okay, tell them what smart contact is. So smart contact is basically for those of you who are new to marriage helper or this show. Smart contact is a, a an intentional way to think about communicating with your spouse. A lot of times when someone's in the middle of a marriage crisis, especially when they have a spouse who is out of the house, won't talk to them, won't answer the phone, refuses to have a conversation with them, the natural tendency of a human to do in that situation when their loved one is turning away from them is to run after them, to beg, plead, whine, maybe literally run after them, or maybe it's figuratively just in the way that you're trying to get them to respond to you. Calling 18 times a day, sending a million text messages, um, sending, flooding their Facebook messenger with, "I, I love you, please come back. All of those things push the other person further away when they're already wanting out of the marriage. So, The answer is not to keep doing those things that are just going to continue to have your spouse be pushed further away, even though that's not your intention. The answer is to do what we call at Marriage Helper smart contact. And each of those letters, the S-M-A-R-T, all stand for something, which I won't get into here. You can go to our YouTube channel. You can look for our videos about smart contact where I get more into depth into that. But basically, In a nutshell, it is the way that you leverage conversations in your 
in your uh, benefit, in your favor when communicating with a spouse who doesn't want to talk to you. Um, and one of these concepts is you only talk to your spouse about things that make sense. So business items, so to say, your personal finances, the kids' grades, whatever that is, things that you have to end up talking to them about anyway. And that's what you use to uh, initiate a conversation with your spouse. Right. Now, if you try to manipulate that in the terms of, I think I'll save this until this happens, actually has a pro and a con. If, for example, your spouse, as, as you do communicate with each other, if, say, for example, she only interacts with you by text or by email, then there are certain things, if it were I, that I probably wouldn't get into because you can't explain them well by text or by email. I'd just leave it alone. And if then you have conversations where that you can actually talk to each other, if the conversation is civil and open, in other words, not terse like, yeah, what do you want? Uh, maybe that's not the best time to bring up things that well. But if, if it's actually a conversation where you're actually talking to each other, preferably not by telephone, preferably face-to-face -face if you get that opportunity, like maybe when you exchange the kids or something like that, then if there is an open opportunity, then take advantage of that and talk to each other. And so if you're saying, okay, there's some things I'm reserving until I have the right context in which to talk, I'd say that's a good thing. If you think, well, no, no, there's some things I'm reserving because if I find just the right time, then maybe I'm going to get her to think this or feel that. And that's a little bit trickier, and that might actually backfire on you. So use the smart contact in the sense of, okay, if you're only texting or emailing, there's certain things I'm not going to tell you. But let's say one of your kids is making an F, and you really need to talk about it with each other, and she only texts with you, then you can actually text her. Can we talk about Charlie? The teacher says his grades are very poor. And then hopefully you'll get a face-to-face -face conversation. But if you try to withhold that information that Charlie's making an F, for example, and then she doesn't know about it because the teacher told you and didn't tell her, and then somewhere down the line she finds out that you had that information and you didn't give it to her, and you were waiting, thinking, I'm going to get just the right time and this is going to be this amazing conversation we'll have, then she's probably going to get mad, and that's going to backfire. Why didn't you tell me that? So be careful about trying to manipulate the other person Talk about what does need to talk about, be talked about, even if it's just a text or an email. But sometimes you don't have to give all the information there. You can ask for that conversation. Charlie's having some trouble with his grades. The teacher talked to me about it. When can you and I talk about that? And now if you do that and she does then have that conversation with you, talk about that. Don't go into other subjects unless she opens the door to go into other subjects. Don't push her. Still be smart in your contact. I do recommend you go to YouTube. How, how do they find us on YouTube? What do they look for there? They can go to youtube.com slash marriage helper. Okay. And there you can are. find some things about smart contact that yeah. you have done there that explains mm -hmm. this in more detail. So I'm saying, yeah, it does make sense sometimes to wait, but sometimes uh, be careful that you're not trying to manipulate the situation because that really can backfire on you. Yeah, and real quick, since he brought up this aspect of it, the faith aspect of it, I'll speak to it just for a second. The part where you said, or should, versus me just waiting for God to bring the opportunity up. I think that when you're a Christian, when you're a person of faith, there's this tendency in our human self. Um, if you're not a person of faith, excuse the language I'm about to use for a minute. You can tune me out. But um, there's this aspect of, well, I still can have some kind of control over this. So let me find a way to have control, to get my wife to respond to me, to get my husband to respond to me, for me to go in and try and manipulate things like Joe was saying, versus saying, you know what, there's nothing that's an emergency right now, and I'm just going to trust that God has it for now. And if you're in a place where you're second guessing yourself, if you're saying, well, maybe my intentions behind this are that I'm just trying to step in and take control and force a conversation or force something to happen when maybe I need to be taking a step back, focusing on my pies, focusing on the bigger aspect of this and trusting God, building that trust in God, then I think you should step back and not force a conversation and you should let this be a faith strengthener for you. Um, that's just my two cents there. Can I kind of give a caveat to that if I may? I agree sure. with everything you just said. Go for everything it. Everything you just said. But sometimes people say, okay, then I'm not going to do mm -hmm. anything because I'm waiting on God. Whatever God does and therefore I'll do nothing. To me, that's a cop-out. It's, it's like, okay, God has to handle this and, and I'm not going to do a thing. Whereas if, if you're going to look at the Bible... 
it's always about, you know, these are the things you should do. These are the things you shouldn't do. God really does expect you to do something. Mm-hmm. Or, or if you set some criteria. One guy actually said this to me. I prayed and I told God that if she's truly sorry about what she did, then God make her do this by this date. And she didn't do that by that date. He said, that's God telling me to go on. You gave God a criteria and God didn't meet your criteria. And therefore, this woman is... You don't have that right. Mm-mm. Now, again, I'm speaking from my Christian perspective, and I realize a lot of our audience is not religious in any shape, fashion, or form. Mm-hmm. Or you might be Jewish, you might be Muslim, you might be any other religion. We're not trying to, to put you down for that. We're speaking from most of the people that interact with us are of our faith, which is Christianity. So I'm all for praying. Mm-hmm. As the old adage used to be, pray like everything depends on God, work like everything depends on you. And, and try not to mess those two things together too much. I think you and I could do a whole program just talking about this. Yes. Just the discussion of it, which I think we should. I think it's a good, it's a good discussion. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll leave it at that for now because if I respond, we're just going to keep going into the discussion. <laughs> okay. Yeah. But and then I'll be shook. I, shook. <laughs> he will be shook. No, that's good. Uh, okay, the next question that we have, we have a lot of them coming in, so let me, uh, here's a question. I'm, she's doing our online course. Mm-hmm. She says, I'm only on week six of the program, and I'm wondering when is the right time to see if my husband is open to coming with me to the three-day workshop or just file for divorce to protect the assets. I don't want a divorce, but I don't know how else to protect the assets. If you need to protect your assets, then do whatever you need to do to protect yourself. Mm-hmm. We, we don't ever encourage people to put yourself in a situation where that the other person has dominance and control and you wind up losing everything. That's not, that's not smart either. Many, many years ago, I divorced Alice. That was way back in 1984, before the time that some of you guys were born. And, and Alice got her attorney and she took care of herself. And at the time, I got really, really mad. It's like, how dare you? That just proves I shouldn't be with you. All those kinds of things that people say when they don't get their way. Because you see, when Alice was protecting the assets, protecting herself, then it got in the way of me getting what I wanted. And I became furious, and I called her names, and I blamed her, and again, threw it in her face. This just proves that we shouldn't be together. But she still did it, and she should have. You see, why because she needed to protect herself. And if she had let me run over her and get everything that I wanted the way I wanted it, things would have been even worse than they were. Because I wasn't thinking rationally at that point. I wasn't thinking about Alice and protecting her. I was thinking about getting everything that I wanted. I was being extremely selfish at the time. Now, over time, it was the very strength that Alice demonstrated that was part of what brought me back. The fact that she didn't let me run over her, the fact that she did get an attorney to protect herself and take care of her. And and while in the short term, that made me really angry and I blew a gasket at her. In the longer term, it was like, she's strong. And that's something that I respect. Now, it didn't happen immediately, but it did happen with time. Now, I realize that's our situation. And you might be thinking, well, yeah, well, that was you and that was a time ago. And it may not be the same for us. And that's absolutely true. It may not be the same for you. But I think the principle is the same. If you let the other person run over you, if you let the other person get everything he or she wants, then you're going to wind up losing here. And one of the things you're going to lose is his or her respect. Oh, they'll get their way and they'll seem to be happy for a while because of that. But in essence, you lose what's important to you, the things that you should protect, like having enough money to pay the rent, being able to pay the mortgage, et cetera, et cetera, or whatever other things that you need to protect that are important to you. So here, think not just how does that person feel today, think longer term. And if you need to get an attorney to do that, now, here's what I suggest. You get an attorney and let him or her be the gladiator. What I mean by that is if your husband comes back and says, I'm not happy with that. You're just being mean. You're being selfish. You respond something like this. I'm not the one that wants the divorce. I'm not the one that wants this marriage to end. As a matter of fact, I'm very happy right now to do whatever we need to do to get the help we need to put this marriage back together. I know about this three-day workshop, the ones that Marriage Helper do, and I've heard about the great success rate they have. It may not help us save our marriage, but it can certainly help us as human beings and help us in all kinds of ways, even if it doesn't help us save our marriage. But you see, I'm willing to do that if you're willing to do that. But as long as you insist and persist in going the direction that you're going now, then I got an attorney to protect me, protect 
my children, if you have them, protect what I need to protect. And I'm sorry that that angers you, but because I trust my attorney to be thinking about me, while right now I'm not trusting you to think about me, then I'm going to follow whatever my attorney says. And so if he gets madder and says, oh, you're terrible, you're wicked, like this just proves I should be leaving you for something else, just go, I'm so sorry you feel that way. And again, I'm not the one who wants this, and I'm very willing to do what we need to do to make the marriage work. But as long as you persist on this path, I'm going to follow my attorney's advice. Let your attorney be the bad guy. Let your attorney be the warrior, the gladiator. Always go back to him or her. Don't get mad. Don't get defensive. Don't try to explain anything else. Well, my attorney said I should do this because of that. My attorney said I should do this because of that other. Don't do that because you'll wind up in an argument. So don't do that. You just keep referring back to the attorney. Well, I'm going to follow my attorney's advice. But if you want to work on the marriage, I'm happy to do that. Now, in a case like that, if you have to do that, then we recommend that you do. As always, it's your decision. I mean, I can't make your decisions for you. I don't need to make your decisions for you because I won't live with the consequences. You will. But that's the strong recommendation we, we make. Protect yourself. Protect your children if you have them. Protect your assets as you need to. Now, don't be mean. Don't be vengeful. Don't be selfish. But you do what you need to do to take care of you. Now, through that process, through that process, again, if the other person says, I don't like this, well, I'd love to save the marriage. Here's some things we can do to try to do that. Be happy for you to go. Now, sometimes then they'll say something like this. If I go, what would you give me? And we've had people come to the workshop that have actually offered the other person, if you go to that three-day workshop and if you participate, in other words, you can't just sit there like a knot on a log, but if you go in there and you participate for those three days and if after that you still want the divorce, then I'll give you blank, whatever blank might be. Sometimes people actually come to the workshop where they say, I'll go ahead and sign the divorce papers the day after the workshop. Sometimes they say, I'll give up this much. I'll give up that. You can have this. You can have that. Just make sure that if you decide to do that, you be willing to give up whatever it is that you said you'd give up. Don't get mad about it later. Therefore, don't offer something you're not willing to give up. While three out of four couples that come to our workshop actually wind up saving their marriages, that means one out of four they don't, which means there's a possibility that yours won't. You understand that. Now, I know there are people on the internet claiming they'll give you 100% success. What they say will absolutely save your marriage, but those people are charlatans. In reality, we can teach you what works if anything works. What will work if anything works. And so sometimes it doesn't. And if therefore you're going to make some kind of an offer, like I'll sign the divorce papers or I'll give you this or that, if you do that, be sure you're willing to give that up and you're not going to be angry at anybody if you wind up losing that. Joe, let's talk about in-laws. In-laws. So someone asks, is it okay to talk to your in-laws about the hurt you feel? Or would you just go on like you aren't hurt? And would it be smart or not smart to tell your in-laws that you are standing for your marriage? Well, there's a whole bunch of different questions involved right there. Okay. This is a fine line here, and this is going to be more of an art than a science, okay? Here's what I mean by that. If, if you go to your in-laws and it appears that you're trying to get them on your side against their child, first of all, your spouse may wind up resenting that tremendously, thinking you've just thrown me under the bus to my mom and my dad. I resent that. How dare you say those things to me to make me look bad to my parents? People don't like being thrown under the bus. And if you come across that way, like you're throwing him or her under the bus to his or her parents, then it's probably going to work out negatively for you. Here's another thing. Often the parents of your spouse, even if they think you're a good person and even if they want the marriage to survive, they often will eventually wind up siding with their child. And that's because of all that emotional connection they have with each other and those kinds of things. And it would not be unusual if they wind up seeing you as the villain. And so therefore, I suggest that you wind up being very careful about how you do this. Now, sometimes the spouses, uh, sometimes the spouse's parents find out that you guys are having trouble. It becomes kind of obvious and they might approach it with you like what's going on. Now, you can answer that question and answer it honestly, but be very careful not to be appearing to denigrate, to, to put down, to disrespect their child, your spouse and the process. 
Again, so that your spouse doesn't feel like he or she's thrown on the bus and so that you don't trip that emotional wire inside of them where they become defensive. Like, how dare you talk about my son that way? I can't believe you talk about my daughter that way. But to tell them, you know, I want to make the marriage last. I would love to work this out. Do that. Just be careful not to attack your spouse, their child, as you do that. Now, you might be thinking, okay, but you said if that, that's if they come to me. Can I go to them? Again, there's some pros and cons here. If they've been very close to you, and if you think they're receptive, then I would suggest you do something like this. Now, these are my suggestions. You have to decide for yourself. Tell your spouse, I would like to talk to your mom and dad. Is it okay with you if I do that? I just want to tell them that I love them, that I want them to have continued connection with our children, their grandchildren. And so is it okay with you if I just go tell your parents uh, the marriage is not having some problems, but, but I want you to know I love you and respect you, and I want you to have access to the kids, that kind of thing. Either the, the, the spouse is going to say, yes, that makes sense, or the spouse is going to say, no. If the spouse says no, my recommendation is that you don't do it at this point. Just wait. And, and you might be thinking, well, I know he's going to say no. I know she's going to say no, so why even do it? Well, it's all according to the way you phrase it. If it's still back to, because I, I want them to have access to the kids, I'd love to talk to them. If they say yes, they may ask something like this. Are you going to say bad things about me? And I would suggest you say, absolutely not. I'm not going to say bad things about you. I'm going to tell them that I love you. I'm going to tell them that maybe some way we can work this thing out. I might love for that to happen. And if you promise your spouse that's what you're going to say, then that's what you say. You do not throw your spouse under the bus. You don't say, here's what your son's doing. Can you believe he's doing this? This is what your daughter's doing. Can you believe she's doing that? I'm telling you, even if they're on your side to begin with, most of the time, based on what we see, they're eventually going to turn against you if they feel like you're putting down their child. So be very, very careful here how you do this. But it's okay to tell them what you feel. Just don't be attacking their child in the process if you want them to actually somehow understand and, and be pro putting this marriage back together. Mm, that's good advice. The next question we have, this woman says, my husband has gone into a deep depression after losing his affair partner to someone else that they both work with. Hmm. Three weeks ago, he decided he needed to see a doctor and he was put on an SSRI, but now he's acting like he doesn't care about anything. Yeah. And talking about our future as if we're going to still be together, but then makes jokes about selling the house or me dating other people. How do I deal with this? Do I use smart contact? Do I ask him to make a decision? Or do I just let it ride for a few more weeks until the meds kick in? He's acting so bizarre. I have never seen him like this before. Okay. You don't have to make a decision. The decision's already mm -hmm. been made. She left him for some other guy. The decision's been made. She's not going to come back. And, and he is in pain. Now, I know you don't like that. I know you don't. But let's face reality, will we? Just earlier in this same program, I mentioned the fact that when people lose their lovers like that, the people with whom they've been in limerence, for example, that often they go into the grief process, which has anger and denial and bargaining and all those kinds of things that go with people who are going through grief. And one of those things is depression. And people often go through a depressive period when they're dealing with grief. Whether you like it or not, face the reality that he has lost something that's very important to him. Now, think about it. He had to go through a process when he went into this limerence with her where she became the be-all, end-all, like the answer to everything, like this is the person I daydream about this amazing future with. That's part of what happens in limerence. And then she leaves him for another guy, which shatters all of those dreams. Now, I agree, these dreams were fantasies, but they were real to him. And, and all of a sudden, they're gone because now she's involved with somebody else. He's got to be thinking, I'm not lovely. I'm not lovable. And, and all of these things he's put together in his head that made all these things work out for him, again, daydreams. But they now have been proven to be false. And so where is reality? What's real? So he goes into depression. Very common situation. Very common situation when this happens. Now, the SSRI. There are so many different kinds of SSRIs, and it depends about what kind of a doctor actually prescribed them. Now, I'm not trying to make any decision or tell you anything about medical doctors. <laughs> Do not take any medical advice or psychiatric advice from me. Even though I have a PhD, I am not a psychiatrist, you understand? And even if I were a psychiatrist, I don't know all the particulars, and therefore I can't speak specifically to that. 
But understand that if, if he got the SSRI from a psychiatrist, these are the kind of doctors that specialize in these kind of drugs and tend to know a lot more about them. And if the psychiatrist indeed is following him as the psychiatrist should, the psychiatrist will see, is this the right one or should we change to a different one? Or maybe it is the right one, but we need to add this other medicine with it to kind of offset some of the negatives that go with it. And they call it the cocktail. And psychiatrists are the people who specialize in these kinds of drugs. And think about this. Now, it could have been prescribed by his general practitioner, by his internist, uh, by his good buddy that's a kidney specialist. I mean, various kinds of doctors can write the SSRIs. And I'm not saying that they should not have that ability. Don't hear me say that. I'm not saying that. But, but sometimes they're not quite as adept at figuring out what the cocktail should be. Now, he's early into it. You didn't say which SSRI it is. He's early into it, and he's kind of numbed out a little bit. Not unusual at all. Sometimes a particular SSRI will kind of numb a person so much that they become almost zombie-like, if you will. And, and that's when the doc finally has to say, mm, maybe that's not the right one. So let's take you off the Zoloft, and let's put you on Paxil, or whatever the case might be. Or, hmm, let's try that at a little bit lower dosage to see if that works. And so there's still, no matter what kind of physician that you're dealing with, has to be some kind of following to figure out what's the best combination. But if I'm understanding you correctly, we're still in the short term. And, and sometimes it can take a while for your body to get used to these. It's not unusual to take at least two weeks for the SSRI even to begin to have any kind of effect where you can actually begin to see things. And you know, so what you're seeing, I wouldn't react to right now. Let's just wait and see how this goes. But let's make sure that the physician who prescribed that knows what's going on, that he or she understands how it's affecting your husband. So I'm suggesting here patience. Now the jokes he makes about you dating, the jokes he makes about those other kinds of things, that could be coming from a thousand different reasons. It could be some guilt, like I feel guilty about what I did and maybe you need to go off and do some things so I don't feel as guilty. It could be guilt. I'm not saying it is guilt. It could be like, wow, I'm so miserable now that I think I'm useless. And if she left me for somebody else, maybe you're going to leave me for somebody else too. And so the joke could be not a joke at all, but is pain speaking out, trying to find out if indeed you're going to leave him as well. You understand? There's a thousand different potential motivations here. So trying to figure out which one it is, is useless. It's just going to cause you misery. So after all that long explanation, I come back to the simple answer. Be patient. Keep your doctor involved in what's happening in case he or she needs to write a different script. But be patient. Just wait for things. And understand that your husband's going through a period of mourning. I know you don't like that, but if you can be there and be his support system as he goes through this period of mourning, down the line, that's going to bond him to you tremendously if you can stick it out and do that, even though it's got to be painful for you. Someone responds and says, well, if your spouse has said that you were always judgmental, always controlling, things like that, then how can I show them that I won't do that anymore when I react? Stop. <laughs> Don't do it anymore. Sometimes the answers are that simple. They really, really are. They really are. Really are. If, if he says you've been judgmental, then quit being judgmental. Yeah. Now, now if, if you think, well, I don't know how I've been judgmental, then make a deal with him. Mm-hmm. Here's the deal. Anytime you think I'm being judgmental, please tell me. I promise I won't become defensive. I promise I'll just listen and try to understand. I won't try to explain myself. I won't try to defend myself. I won't try to say, hey, that's not judgmental. What's wrong with you? In other words, you're not going to react in any negative fashion. Say, okay, here's the deal. If I've been judgmental in the past, anytime I start doing things that are judgmental, tell me. Now, I do reserve the right to ask, help me understand how I'm being judgmental. But you've got to ask it genuinely, mm-hmm. not defensively, and then stop. Stop being judgmental. Mm-hmm. On this same topic, another person wrote in a comment and a question and said, well, my wife, did he say that they were separated? Yes. Left four months ago, has her own house now because she says that I've been controlling, that I've been smothering, and that her emotions for me have been switched off and they aren't going to come back on. And she has no desire to reconcile. I've backed off from the beginning and have avoided push behaviors as much as possible, but she seems to be very happy away from me and not coming back to the marriage. Any tips on what to do to help a spouse that was perceived as controlling now that we live apart? I can't show her I've changed and she, she seems to be happy away from me. 
I'm sure she is. Because you understand, if you're in a situation that's not comfortable for you, for example, if I feel that I'm being controlled and dominated, and then I get in a situation where I feel free, where I'm, I'm actually making my own decisions about my life, where I can get to make all these kinds of things where I feel like I'm now the adult, I'm not being controlled by somebody who thinks he's my dad, then that sense of freedom, that self-determination, that's the psychological phrase for it, that self-determination can be quite exhilarating. And I'm sure that she is happier now because she feels that freedom. No, don't panic. Don't go, well, good grief, Dr. Beam. You just take away all my hope. No, stay with me here. You say, but I can't demonstrate it to her. But you see, you understand your very desire to demonstrate to her that you're not controlling can be a way of controlling. You've got to start thinking in terms of, if I do this, then this is what's going to happen over here. And therefore, I can change her behavior by doing this, that, or the other. That's a way of controlling. It's like, this is what I want from you. Hmm, how can I figure out what to do to get you to do that? Okay. If you do that in general life, like, hmm, you're more likely to do this if I'm kind, that's not controlling. But if it's like, hmm, I can get you to come back. I can get you to do this. I can get you to do this. And how am I going to make that happen? Then that crosses the border at some point and it does become controlling. So what do you do? Be calm. Be patient. You say, but I have no access to her. Okay. She's living in another house. She's feeling some degree of freedom there. For the short term, that's going to be somewhat exhilarating because she's experiencing something she wanted to experience for a long period of time, self-determination. But if you now live accepting, understanding, where you're not controlling, where you're not dominating, where that you're letting people be who they are, letting people think what they think, even if it's different than what you want them to, feel what they feel, even if it's different than what you want them to do, believe, all those kinds of things, okay? If you do that, if you have any mutual friends whatsoever, any, for example, if you have kids together, then what you're hoping for is over time, the word gets back to her. Now, this exhilaration she's feeling in the short term, because now she feels free, I'm not under your control anymore, that's going to come back down after a while, okay? Now, she'll still feel good about it. She'll enjoy it, but it comes back down after a while. So then, if she's beginning to hear, mm, your ex-husband or your current husband you're not living with, whatever the case is, has changed. He's mellowed out. He's become a lot easier to, to live in, to be around. He's a different person then that's what you're hoping for, that that word gets to her, not because you're making it happen, but you're living this lifestyle because it's the better lifestyle to live. Being a controlling, dominating person is not a good lifestyle to live. It doesn't bring happiness to you or to anybody else. And so if you become this person that's more mellow, to use a better uh, phrase, and, and she begins to hear about that, and at some point then you begin to interact, and this is not going to happen like that. It's going to take a while. When you begin to interact... She's going to say, hey, I can still be me and make my own decisions, but still be around him. I couldn't do that before, but I can now. And so you have to be patient. Allow that to happen with time and become that other person that's not controlling or dominating. And then that's when to create the possibility that the two of you can come back together. So I suggest a whole lot of patience here. And be sure that you don't do controlling behavior toward anybody in any way, shape, fashion, or form, that you be the kind of person that can say what you believe. That's fine. You can tell people what you think, et cetera, et cetera. But that you are accepting of people who don't think, feel, believe, and act the way you want them to. That's when you become a person that's not controlling and dominating. And, you know, it, you keep coming back in this show, you've said multiple times, going back to be calm. Be patient. Yeah. Do what you can do, but don't go overboard. Mm -hmm. And those are concepts which, again, like we said just a minute ago, sometimes it seems like it's easy to say. And sometimes it can seem like, you know, it should be easy to do this. It's not easy to do, no. but it's not <laughs> difficult in the sense that it's not impossible. It's not impossible. It's absolutely not impossible. And it really takes a change in your mindset. It really does. But it's essential. It is essential. And, and the panic almost always leads people to make poor decisions mm -hmm. and, do the, and do dumb things. Right. Because when you are that emotional, when you're in a state where you feel like you're about to lose something that you love, lose your family, lose your marriage, then everything is heightened. Your senses of everything are heightened. Even mm -hmm. just physiologically, your cortisol is spiking. Like there's things happening inside of you that you don't even realize. Adrenaline goes up. 
all kinds of things. All of it. And when that is sustained for a long period of time, it affects your hormones, it affects your sleep, which then affects your anxiety. I mean, it's this big cycle of things that are going on. And so just going back to, well, how, how am I supposed to be patient? How am I supposed to be calm? You don't understand what I'm going through. Well, I do. I've been there, so I do understand it. But, but there are some natural ways to do this, and then there's some medicinal ways to do this. Mm-hmm. For example, sometimes the SSRIs can help, the kind mm-hmm. of things that you go to your doc and he or she writes you a script. Sometimes, and, and believe it or not, uh, I'm not trying to promote any particular thing, but uh, if you get a good yoga instructor, get into a good yoga class, they can help you with this by teaching you how to breathe differently and those kinds of things that can help calm you down. Or go on the internet and find some mindfulness stuff. But don't just believe everything you see on the internet about mindfulness. No. Uh, maybe find something from the Mayo Clinic or WebMD or Psychology Today, some reputable site, mm-hmm. some reputable site, some education, some major university that's got some stuff about mindfulness. Because if you just type in mindfulness and you take whatever comes up first, it'll be somebody telling, I don't know what comes up first. But some of the first things that come up, I'm guessing, will be people who say, I'm the expert, listen to me. And they read a book somewhere. Mm-hmm. And now they think they're an expert. Uh, mm-hmm. Deliver me from those people. So what you do then is that you find a good reputable source. Mindfulness can help. Good yoga can help. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. The So going back just real quick to the mindfulness, a lot of people are wary of that uh, because they think, well, I'm going to get into some new age stuff or whatever that might look like. You know, it, it can seem scary. But if you go back into that, reading the history of meditation, of mindfulness, there's the majority of the aspect of it is um, it started not necessarily in any specific religion, but the way that I heard it described in a book that I was reading just a couple of days ago was that there are things that you start seeing them in common in every religion or every mode of thought because we're all human. And just like we all have hearts, we all have lungs, there are things that work that are meant for us to work that 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 cross over everything. Mm-hmm. Breathing is one of them. Mm-hmm. Focusing on your breath, focusing on what you're thinking about, being able to calm yourself down is going to work no matter what religious affiliation. I mean, regardless of that, we need it for our human body. And so... Yeah, I would encourage you to look into that. Again, what Joe was just saying about yoga, I love yoga. Um, And there's been research that has been done looking into yoga and how it increases your GABA, which is a, a, is it a neurotransmitter? I'm pretty sure it's a neurotransmitter, but it's a precursor for melatonin to help you sleep and it lowers your anxiety. It it also does some stuff with serotonin. Um, And it's a natural way to get yourself under control. It's gotten me under control. (laughs) Therefore, it must work for everyone. No, but things like that. It may be for you. It's not yoga. Maybe it's running. Maybe it's something that you just have a way to release your tension, to focus on your breath, to focus on what you're doing in the moment, as opposed to having your mind either focus on things in the future that you can't control or things in the past that you wish you would have done differently that, again, you can't go back and control. So what we're working on here is, How can I be present? How can I be in the moment? How can I focus on what I need to focus on now? Right. And we're not saying it's the be-all, end-all. We're really not. We're saying it's just one of the tools you can use to help calm you down. Because if you can operate out of calm confidence, the decisions Mm -hmm. you make, the things you say, the things you do are going to be so much wiser than the things you do in panic or the things you do out of fear. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that... That is so good. Well, Joe, we have a couple of more questions. We actually have many more questions we haven't gotten to, but we only have a couple of more minutes. So one person asks a question. We'll probably just take about one or two more here. One person says, can you talk a little bit more about writing your spouse a letter? I listened to previous podcasts and videos, and you had mentioned that um, if the outcome is that they appreciate the letter, but nothing changes, does it come to their mind when limerence is coming closer to being over? Okay. We suggest in, in our online course, and by the way, Kimberly, if they, the online course is still open, can people still get into that? If they contact us, they can call us at Marriage Helper and ask more about that. It's not open. You can't 
access it. You can't find it on the internet somewhere no. and sign up. You've got to actually call and talk to one of our client reps. Right. And the reason we ask you to call and talk to a client rep is because they listen enough for your story to find out um, what's the best thing we can recommend that you go forward with. Like we recommend to you the online course, or we recommend to you that you work with our coach, or we recommend to you that you come to our workshop, or we recommend to you that, that you find another resource that we don't have because of what you need. We don't have that, but here's how you find those things. And that's why we ask you to call and talk to our client representative. It's not because they can sell you something, but so they can send you to the best resource that's available to you. Mm-hmm. And, and we hope that you do that. Okay. Now, I said all that and forgot the question. Letters. <laughs> okay, the letter. The letter is something that we do in the online course. And here's, let me just uh, actually clarify it a little bit more than it is in the online course. The letter is when you take responsibility for your own behavior. Because if your situation has been where your spouse has been trying to tell you, I'm hurt when you do this, I'm hurt when you do that, and you have been defensive, or you've been in denial, like, I know, or, or you have attacked them instead, like, oh, me? Let me tell you about you. Then one thing that can actually help is if your spouse sees you finally taking responsibility for your own actions. And so we always talk about the letter being very brief. Don't elaborate on anything. Don't keep saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Don't whine, don't beg, don't plead. Don't make it poor, poor, pitiful me. It's very succinct, but it's basically a letter where you say, yeah, you know, I, I have been wrong in some of the things that I've done. I've not uh, listened to you the way I should have. Now, if you're going to write that letter, do it very succinctly and just make it, I understand some of the things you feel toward me. That's really what it's about. Do not elaborate because, first of all, it's going to sound like whining or pleading. And secondly, because if your spouse is is, uh, bound and determined to do damage to you because of whatever reason, they can actually use things in that letter against you. That's why we say don't elaborate. Don't write a whole lot of different stuff here because we don't want that to be used against you. If you're in the middle of an acrimonious divorce, for example, and he or she is already dealing with an attorney, we often say don't write the letter at all because that other attorney might somehow in some way to try to use it against you. We're not trying to give your spouse something to use against you. We're trying to do something where that your spouse sees you say, you know, I have been wrong. I'd, I'd love to uh, be able to do it again, but just be very careful how you do it. Don't give, don't give ammunition to be hurt. You understand? Okay. Now the particular question, if I understood it was at some point then might it have more effect on my spouse? Is that really what the question was? Like when the limit starts to end, do you think the spouse might remember the letter? Right. Yeah. I think the question behind the question, this is just a guess, is more so of timing than anything. Okay. If you write that letter, some spouses react to it very well immediately. Some spouses ignore it. Some spouses look at it and go, well, thank you for that. And then kind of put it away. And then later they come back to it. I cannot predict what your spouse will do. I'm just saying, let your spouse know, I'm sorry for the things that I've done that was wrong, but not in such a way as to give ammunition to be used against you. And what you're hoping to accomplish here is if you've been defensive, if you've been attacking, if, if you've been the person that's, it's never, ever my fault, you're letting your spouse see that, you know, I'm not going to be like that anymore. I can accept my responsibility what's going on here. Now, if that has immediate effect, affect a little bit down the road or affect a lot down the road, I cannot predict because I don't know your spouse. I don't know. But I'm thinking that if you could do it in such a way where it doesn't give emanation against you, but it says I'm being genuine and honest and open, and I know that I'm flawed as well. I think that that works to your advantage in the long term. But as with everything we talk about, it's your decision, not mine. Mm-hmm. That's good. All right. The last question that we'll, we'll do today, the woman says the following. We'd been divorced for two months. We both agreed and relocated to Texas after our divorce, living separately to fully focus on our children and share week on week off custody. One month after being in Texas, the other woman who he said was out of the picture is now back in it. She's still married and she lives in North Carolina. I don't agree with a married woman being involved in the lives of our children. After asking my ex-husband how we can come to peace for the sake of raising our kids, he offered to pay me to relocate back east just to be closer to her. His week with the kids is spent building the relationship with the other woman in our children and convincing our children we need to move because he is unhappy. How do I help my children through this? My seven-year-olds think my seven-year-old thinks you meet someone married and wait for them to be divorced because that's what his dad is doing. 
Gosh. Uh, that's heartbreaking. Yeah. Now, what we don't know here is, is there a court order saying that he yeah. gets the kids for a week, you get the kids for a week, he gets the kids for a week? Because if there's a court order, then the court order is going to have to be followed, period. If there's not a court order and, and you just come to that, that agreement, okay, you get the kids for a week, I get the kids for a week, then you get to make changes in that if you want to. If there's not a judge that's been involved that's made a decree, then you get to make some changes. And you can actually set some stops and some cores. Now, we don't have time to explain those in detail, but I do ask, if you will, take the time to go back to look at our previous Facebook lives and find the one a few weeks ago where Kimberly and I talked about, it might be label boundaries or something like that. And then in that, when we talk about stops, these are things that, that safeguards that offer protection and there are things called cores which has to do with if we're going to continue this relationship, this is something that's essential to make sure that relationship would continue. And you can actually make some criteria or cores, if you will, and some, some boundaries, stops, which we prefer, and say, no, if, if this is what you're going to do to my kids, then I'm not going to let you have them every other week for a full week. You can make that decision, okay, unless there is a court order. If there's a court order, you have to follow the court order. And always here, I'd say, don't think in terms of what you want, but think in terms of what's best for the children. Mm -hmm. If it's truly negatively affecting the children, then do what you need to do to change that. If, if, if there is a court order, go to your attorney and see what you guys can do legally to change that. But do what's best for the kids. Now, Kimberly, what I didn't understand is mm -hmm. he was going to pay for her to move back east to be close to the other woman. Yeah, she lives in North. The other woman lives in North Carolina. And he's wanting his wife to live back closer to her? Yeah, so that he, I'm assuming, this is all, she didn't say this necessarily, but, okay, she said the court order includes week on, week off, and also, oh, the court order. Okay. And also includes that no romantic interest is to be involved in the lives of our children for at least six months. And he's violating that. Apparently he's violating that. But they moved to Texas. The other woman's in North Carolina. I'm thinking he wants to get back closer to North Carolina, so he's offering to pay for them to move back that way so that he doesn't have to be traveling across the okay. country. All right. First of all, there's a court order, so we see that. Okay. Mm -hmm. Secondly, though, in the court order, if he's violating the court order, if the court order said for six months no romantic other, and, and he's bringing the kids around her, which means he's violating the court order, uh, if it were I, I would go to my attorney, get my attorney to go to the judge and say, He's not following the court order and see what the judge has to say about that. Now, what you do is your decision. You do what you think is best for you. But my question is, what possible advantage is there to you to move back closer to that other woman to give him more access to do what he wants to do? If, if that's benefiting you because you get back to your family or something, I get it. And of course, you have your support group there. But if that's primarily so he can get what he wants and actually is against what might be best for the children, then my question is, why would you do that? And it's your decision. You can make the decision. But if I were in that situation, I wouldn't be making any decisions to benefit what he wants. I'd be thinking in terms of what's best for my children and what's best for me. Now, your choice, but that's how I'd be thinking. And if going back to North Carolina makes it easier for him to put around that woman who's still married to somebody else, I don't know that I would do that. But it's, it's your choice. Yeah. All of these questions that we get, so many of them are difficult because they have foundational similarities across many of them, but there's these parts of them that make them unique to you and your situation. And like we've said many times, and we'll, we'll continue to say it because it's so true and so important, is you can't just hear what we say right here through one comment that you sent us in 180 words and assume that we are giving you the perfect advice right back for yeah. your situation. Yeah. That's the value of having a coach like our marriage helper coaches that have been trained and certified by us that know what we teach, know what we would, what we're saying back to you, but they can take it that extra 20% further for how it applies to your specific situation. And you just can't replace a human relationship, a real person listening to you, understanding exactly what your situation is, and then giving advice and guidance for you to think about of how you might want to take that and move it back into what you mm -hmm. want to do in mm -hmm. your own marriage and in your own relationship. Yeah, and they're not going to tell you what to do either. Mm -hmm. They're going to ask you questions. They're going to get you to think things through. But you understand it's ultimately 
your decision. Yeah. Now, will they ever tell you what to do? Yeah, if your husband or wife's beating you, they'll tell you to get the right kind of help, you understand, mm -hmm. in situations like that. But a situation like described here about should you move back to North Carolina or not, they're not gonna make a decision for you. But they can sure ask some good questions, a lot more, because they can interact with you. As Kimberly said, we can't. We're just right. seeing what we see here. And ask you more questions and get you to think things through. And sometimes it's amazing how just being asked the right question opens your mind to like, ah, oh, mm -hmm. oh, and they can do that one-on-one -on -one with you. They operate by telephone, they operate by Skype, they operate by FaceTime. It's a different situation than what we have here. Yeah, absolutely. Also want to make you all aware of something exciting that we have coming up. Over the next few weeks, you're going to see a change in our Facebook Lives. So we're still going to have them, but we are adding in the opportunity for a live call-in portion with Dr. Joe. So we can actually ask you questions. Yeah. So it, you can call in, you can get in line uh, to ask him a question live on air to talk with him. We're super excited about adding this addition to the program. It's going to be fantastic. Just understand that you don't get the whole hour. Okay. Right. <laughs> it can't be no. like, let, let me tell you your whole life story. We'll have to kind of make it a little bit succinct, but we'll actually talk back. Kimberly and I will talk back yeah. and forth with you and get as many different callers in as we can. But like with this yeah. lady, we would ask a couple of questions. Right. Right. which is absolutely so exciting. So be yeah. sure to keep following us so that you can get updates as, when to, as to when that's going to happen. But another great benefit is, of this is, is simply it's just another way to tune in, another way to listen, another way to mm -hmm. continue to get guidance. Well, hey, we've loved you being here with us this week. If there's anything we can do for you at Marriage Helper, visit us online on our website, marriagehelper.com. Go to our YouTube channel. We're uploading new videos with awesome content every Every week just for you. You can go to youtube.com slash marriage helper to access those. And if you're interested in coming to one of our three-day marriage transforming workshops, we have, I think, five more left this year, which wow. isn't a lot. I know the holidays are coming quick. Schedules are about to get crazy busy and holidays are stressful on marriages. You're probably already starting to feel this as your kids are making their Christmas lists and you're trying to figure out travel plans and you and your husband or you and your wife are, are starting to get into some arguments because of the way things are in your marriage and it's just bringing up uh, past conflict and future conflict and I don't wanna see your parents and whatever else that might be. And so we see a ton of people registering for our workshops during the holidays because of the stress that comes into the marriage with it. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, maybe your spouse has already said, we're just going to make it through the holidays and then I'm going to file for divorce. Mm -hmm. So if you're one of those people and you're saying, I want to get to this workshop before January hits, I want to save our marriage our workshops fill up during the holidays. So please contact us, get those dates from us. Um, let us know you're interested and we'll try and hold a spot for you. But we would love to see you in Nashville where maybe it'll be cold by the time December gets here. <laughs> but we would, love, we, would love, we would love to help you save your marriage, bottom line. We'll see you next week. Have a good one.